0: Welcome to the Strategic Boardroom, Insights from Thought Leaders, where we speak to experts in organizational leadership, human capital management, and business strategy. We hope you enjoy this episode brought to you by Bullseye Engagement, a leading provider of cloud-based employee development and strategic business software solutions. So I'd like to introduce our guests today. We have Sony Bassi, who is head of talent management and acquisition at AIG. She holds a PhD in social psychology and has over 20 years of experience in consulting and leading global organizations and guiding the creation of cutting edge talent programs. Some of her former roles include VP of Global Talent at Allergan, VP of Global Learning and Talent Development for Estee Lauder, and former Director of Global Learning and Development at Shearing Plough. So thank you so much, Sony, for joining us. I'd like to start off with some questions related to current events. So how can organizational leaders cultivate an inclusive workplace and continue to drive employee engagement? And what is the impact of d strategy on creating a positive company culture?
1: First
2: of all, thank you, Kayleen and Adil and Raquel for having me. Uh, On this webinar today, I'm really pleased to be joining each of you um, in this session. I think your question is a really timely one, of course. We've, um, I think at all organizations, we've all been challenged this year, more so than in previous years, with the question of inclusion, as well as the question of diversity. And so, you know, in in thinking about this this area, this really important area within an organization, I have to first commend you on your question, that your question is about inclusion, because that at the end of the day is what really sets apart, I think, one organization from another. Oftentimes, we will put together, we'll, we'll say D and I, right, in the same breath. And D, the D, and the i are really different so i think in terms of what it takes to drive and you know an engaged workforce it's really the inclusion side and the inclusion side comes from your culture so let me just be really specific on on what i mean by d and i so d the d in diversity is really around the numbers right it's the metrics it's the It's whatever you're driving towards in terms of your workforce and how your workforce represents uh, the external markets, the customers that you serve. Inclusion is really about optimizing that mix and making sure that mix of talent that you have feels valued, they feel that their voice matters, they feel that they can make a difference in your organization. And when you're doing all of that really well, that's, I think, what you're doing to drive employee engagement. And it's employee engagement across the board. Because sometimes there's um, some sense of diversity, as we all know, we're looking at surface level diversity, but people are bringing all kinds of diversity with them to the table. And everyone wants to feel that sense of value and that sense of inclusion within an organization. So first off, that's, that's what I would add in. I think in terms of um, you know your question about leaders and the role of leaders and, and the role that leaders play in a, in a company leaders can do quite a bit you know and, and but I would also say all employees have a role to play in in driving an inclusive work environment A lot of times the companies I've worked at people will point to the executive team and they'll say well take a look at the executive team right look at look at the executive team they're maybe not as diverse as we want. And absolutely, that's one part of the equation. But in hiring and promoting and developing people, every single manager plays a role. So how diverse our organizations are is a matter of the recruiting, the engagement that every single person is doing around the organization. And that's something that's really measurable as well. And so as you're looking at dashboards, you can look at those numbers and see where you might have some pain points in the organization, where you might be having diverse slates, but we're not converting those slates to hires, as an example. Uh, Or where you're constantly looking at promotion numbers, but you're not promoting a diverse group of individuals into more senior positions, right? So we all play a role. uh, And certainly leaders have to role model the culture.
0: So I have a follow-up
2: question for you. And thank you so much for your time and for providing that information to us. Um, For a company who has never put uh, any emphasis on inclusion, what advice would you give a leader to start
0: incorporating inclusion and why would this be important for them to do that?
2: Yeah. So inclusion is one of those areas that's not easy to measure, right? So how included a person feels is is difficult, it's not tangible, but the impact of being excluded is really far reaching. If you think about, for example, you're in a meeting and you're taking, you're maybe the quieter one in the room and you're taking that chance of saying, I've got this great new idea, and the leader shuts that down and says, yeah, 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 you know, no, we've already got that, right? Uh, we've, that's already tackled. The impact on that individual and their desire to speak up and to use their voice in the future is suddenly going to dissipate. And sometimes as leaders, we don't sit back and think about what our words actually mean and do. And so the actions that you can take to create an inclusive work environment are really small. They're things like being the last to speak in a room. Uh, Encouraging people to come to the table with ideas, right? Taking a chance on somebody who may otherwise always get overlooked, that's starting to create, they're really micro behaviors. And I can actually just give you just a very simple example, if you don't mind my taking that time. But in the Netherlands, you know, everyone in the Netherlands, right? They ride their bikes everywhere. And they were finding that as people are riding their bicycles, car like drivers of cars were opening up their car doors and they were hitting people on bicycles and and there were a lot of bicycle deaths related to that and they kept trying to think about what do I what do we do to change this and it was this micro behavioral change that was the only thing that worked which was you open the car door with your other hand right it forces you to look back and the number of deaths that have happened has decreased quite a bit. So these micro-behavioral changes that you can make in how you deal with team meetings or who you invite to the table, make a huge difference.
1: Excellent, thank so you so it's much. Simple.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't cost anything.
1: So <laughs> very good example, Sony. actually reminds me uh, from industrial engineering perspective, uh, something we did at one of manufacturing facilities when I was with there, obviously uh, there was a big push for Kaizen and uh, doing all kinds of cellular uh, cells on manufacturing floor and uh, getting to pull method instead of push methods. I'm sure you remember probably a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that, I remember doing that worked for me personally, uh, is that we would actually videotape a cell, a, a manufacturing spot, and bring those people in cafeteria, serve lunch, and have them watch, uh, you know, if the, how, how far they're walking, uh, where they're picking up the parts and bringing it to the next and how they can Maximize uh, productivity while minimizing their fatigue factor. You know, mm-hmm. walking back and forth, and even though that some of us knew that the best p- place for that one machine is there, uh, I I made sure that we never say that, that it should come out from one of them. And as soon as somebody said that, why don't we move this machine here and we'll, we'll save five or six steps, and the idea was, what a great idea. And then they own it. And once the, right. the team owns mm-hmm. it, it's so easy you know, to make it happen.
2: And going back to Kayleen's original question about engagement, right? that's when the power of engagement comes through, is when you feel like you own this. And your leadership team has your back, like, yeah, go try that out. That's a fantastic idea. Come back and share it, right? That's when people start to feel engagement. Uh, And honestly, you know, in this era right now, in this difficult year that we have, the more that we can encourage people to go after some of the things that matter to them and their ideas, the better off we all are because people are fatigued (laughs) and they want, to be creative, they want to give you that input. And the more that we do to encourage them to go after things that really matter to them, the better off we are for, at, at all of our organizations. That's, that's a great example of deal with ownership, personal accountability and ownership.
0: What role does employee development play in employee engagement and the overall employee experience?
2: Yeah, so employee development um, is, is huge. And um, and I think that it is one of the main drivers of employee engagement. So I've been in the world of culture for many years. I know you went through my background before, but the first seven years, I think Adil knows I started working when I was five, right? <laughs> so I won't even try to age myself here, but the first six, seven years of my career were in the culture world. And when I say the culture world, it was studying employee cultures uh, and really understanding. And actually, I was one of the first ones who defined what employee engagement is, and it's a definition that's still being used by some of our main um, consulting firms out there. So, I was part of a small consulting company called International Survey Research, find employee engagement for them, and how do you measure it? And that company got bought by Towers Watson, and you know, Willis Towers Watson. So it continues to more. But one of the things that I realized in defining that area of work was that there were three things that mattered to people. One was their careers. The second was the strategy of the organization and knowing what the strategy is. And the third was feeling like you're a part of that strategy and your, your role in the company is to help move that strategy. So employee development and employee engagement are intrinsically linked. And I think some of the tools that bullseye engagement has in particular, in terms of measuring employee engagement are fantastic, right? So that is an area that you want to continue to measure you and you want to know what is driving employee engagement at all times in your company. I'd be surprised if those three didn't turn up as one of your top threes at any other organization. And it is, It is not always about learning. So again, Kayleen, I love your questions. And I know that I didn't give you any feedback on the questions, but you've written them up beautifully because you didn't say learning and development, right? And so let me just give you another example of why this is so important. Kayleen, do you know how to ride a bicycle? Yes. I I know we talked about bikes in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. How about you, Raquel? Do you know how to ride? Sorry, you're taking a sip of your Yes. Definitely. Okay. Adil? Adil, how about you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And I, hope I and never you're... forgotten.
2: Okay. All right. So let's talk about how you learn how to ride a bicycle. Any examples of how you learn? This is, this is a t- chance when the, I'm asking the panel of oh, the uh, questioners the questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I started how did with you training learn? wheels. Training wheels first.
2: Training wheels. Okay. What else? A how did you learn?
1: I, I passed, uh, you know, kind of the straining wheel phase uh, because I was the youngest in the family. So my oldest sister uh, got me on a bike and she, she would hold it. And so I, I fell a few times to learn the hard way. And I said, I don't want to go down a <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> so you better get back on and know how to do it.
1: <laughs> I had few scrapes on my knees. And after that, I was balancing it.
2: All right. Okay. Raquel, anything else in your experience? Uh, similar to, a, you know, Adil and Kayleen started with training wheels and then, you know, the parents would run with me as I'm cycling and then ultimately mastered it, right? Right. Exactly. So this is an example where none of us sat there in kindergarten or when we were three watching a youtube video or attending a linkedin learning course as much as i like learning courses right this is about development essentially so this is the other side of the equation is in developing a new skill you get on the bike you have the training wheels you try it out you have somebody who's coaching you guiding you seeing you through the falls, and when you do fall, they're there to say, it's okay, you made a mistake. You get back on, and you keep going. That is the fundamental element of what development means in an organization, and again, like inclusion and diversity or DNI, they always get lumped together, L and D, L and D, L and D, we keep talking about L and D, and the L and the D are really different, and so going back to your question about engagement. I know I've said a lot about it already, but absolutely employee development is so important to employee engagement because it's where you get your value from. You're working all the time. You want to come home or at the end of the day when you shut down your laptop, if you are already at home, feel that you've contributed, that you're making a difference in an organization or for your team. And it's your source of where you get so much in return. And so it comes from your career development, and it is about development. It's not always just about the L, right? So as HR professionals, we have to do both, and we have to measure both. So we have to measure internal mobility, as an example. We have to measure the promotions that we have in the organization. So dashboards and real-time data become really important to say, what are the outcomes? we're looking for from development and are we actually hitting those numbers for our people?
0: Right. So, in your experience, what are the keys to retaining top talent and keeping talent engaged?
2: Yes, um, another great question, Kayleen. uh, retention is something that maybe right now um, people are less worried about uh, because of the current economic circumstances. There has been a little less turnover. Right. So that said, doesn't mean that there isn't pent up turnover. So as the economy re, you know, kind of reenergizes, that people who are your best people go um, and start looking for opportunities, right? Phones are definitely ringing uh, for individuals because there's a war for talent of the best talent. Uh, As the markets are down, people want the best talent to come work for their companies to get their company to, to, to perform even better. And when I think about this question, I actually think about motivators of individuals. So to retain someone, you have to know what motivates them. And you know, I um was having a conversation recently. I love my analogies a deal, so you'll have to <laughs> you'll have to excuse if I'm putting in too many here, but I was having a conversation with a girlfriend the other night, and she was telling me about love languages, right? So you you all you're nodding your heads, okay, I didn't know about love languages, but there's apparently five different love languages. Like do you like to receive gifts in a relationship? Do you like, you know, praise, do you like, or, you know, verbal affirmations, and, um, or do you like, you know, touch, like, what is your, what is the way you like to receive love? And if you and your partner are not on the same page, if your partner thinks, you know, is constantly giving you gifts, but you would be rather receiving something else that is more valuable to you, then you're constantly sparring, right? Like, okay, somebody, one person doesn't think that they're doing enough, and, and the other person thinks that they're doing a lot. So I mentioned this because I started thinking about love languages in relation to the workplace. Um, because at the you know, it is it is a relationship like any other. And if your manager is constantly giving you praise, but what you're really after is the compensation, the two of you are speaking the wrong language as it relates to motivations and retention. So the development planning that you can do or that you can, you know, should be doing begins with understanding what's your employee's motivator, right? Relating it back. And in organizations, I, I found that there's usually three. So you can correct me if, I, if you think that there's more than that, but you, there's usually three, right? There's either power, and there are three Ps, so they're easier to remember. There's usually power dynamics in a, in a company that's a motivator, prestige, or there is praise, right? those are typically the three P's and you have to know which one is going to be the most meaningful for your direct reports and strategize on how to give them those motivators to continue to keep them retained within your organization. So that's my analogy and my short answer in terms of retention strategies.
0: So how can HR leaders demonstrate the value of their human capital strategies and how important or relevant is real-time data?
2: Okay. So in terms of the value of your human capital strategy, the first thing is, is it starts with goal setting at the start of the year. So if you think about performance management and you consider how goals are created in the organization, so many times people will create goals that are not connected to the strategy of the organization. And it begins there. And I know that we've got tools at Bullseye to help with goal setting and the cascading of goals within an organization for performance, but that's when your human capital strategy comes to life. So uh, as your CEO is spreading their goals, the HR Colleagues should be at the table helping to define what the people or the culture elements are of those goals, and at the end of the year, being able to showcase um, how we achieve those goals, right? That's our role, is to be helping the organization succeed. That's what HR is here for. HR is the business, right? We're part of the business. And I think your second question here is so important about the role of data, and I, again, I'm um, thinking about, you know, more broadly than just HR and, and the importance of HR being being a business, uh, part of the business and, and acting and thinking like a part of the business. If I was in finance and I didn't come with the numbers or my numbers were out of date, I'd be thrown out of the room, right? I, and and I, I think of HR in the exact same way. So absolutely, HR might need a point in time of data for turnover or a point in time of data for, um, you know, recruiting numbers or diversity numbers, but they can't be a year out of date, right? They can't be six months out of date. You have to choose a point in time for your data that is really close to when you're presenting it and think like your finance leader. If you're sitting at the table next to whoever your business leader is and finance is on the left and HR should be on the right. And you're both showing up with real-time data that is benchmarkable wherever you've got the benchmarks, trending, you should be able to talk about trends, you should be able to talk about, you know, anything that's gonna come up in that meeting. So data is really critical. And I would say the accuracy of data is something I know we struggle with in HR. Every part of the business struggles with accuracy of data, right? Like We all have to figure out the solution. It's not an HR issue, but we have to figure out the answer for HR. But if I go in or if I put together a presentation for, say, a board of directors and, you know, on one slide you show an end size and a you know, number of employees and this diversity analysis was 100. And then on, on another side, because of the way that the data is reported, it shows an end size of 80. Automatically, you raise questions about the viability of the data, right? So you have, you have to make sure that your data is as timely as possible and that it is as accurate as possible. And third, when you're reporting your data, that you have insights. Data is only so powerful as the insights you can draw from it. You can never show up at a leadership presentation and just have like a graph, right? You have to be able to say what that graph means and bring it to life. But having that, having data at your fingertips is what you absolutely need as an HR professional. Yeah, you can, yeah. I, can't even, I can't even overstate it. It's like it's everything.
1: I'm so happy that you connected the dots there, uh, Sonny. and that was one of the major uh, reasons behind uh, our oh. vision of uh, bringing leadership dashboard and getting SHRM KPIs and uh, ISO KPIs all in one place to have leaders like yourself, not only relevant data, but real-time data available at your fingertips as you walk in that boardroom. So you are That's able right. to put it out and you're confident that the numbers are current. They're coming directly from the source and people behind the data uh, are accountable. Make sure That's that, right. uh, you know, that you have what you need to drive your point uh, at the board level in the, in the boardrooms. And, um, secondly, uh, in the, in the days of, uh, you know, uh, we all went through it. People are our biggest assets. Uh, that, that was a tagline, um, you know, mid 80s, early 90s. And then uh, last year, I, I saw a CFO magazine. Uh, and on top of the magazine, uh, it says, how do we put our human capital on the balance sheet? So. Uh, you know your point about connecting financials to human capital is, is very important. Uh, it's, it's time that, uh, if you consider people your biggest assets, then you need to figure out a way to bring it that to the balance sheet as wow. well and have numbers yeah. to prove it.
2: That's right. So and um, you know I think the the. One of the lessons I've learned the most in, in my career have been from finance, um, to your point, deal. So if you look at you know what a finance leader is presenting um, when they're talking to any leader, they have their trend lines. They have their external data points. They know what their competitors are doing. And as HR professionals, tools like the ones from Bullseye with all the KPIs in there are so powerful, they put that data in your hands and there's really no excusing that we, we show up unprepared, right, at this point in time, because every leader is gonna ask, their first question is gonna ask you, uh, the first question that they will ask you is, is that where we want to be, right? And you have to be able to answer that question how do you know if, if what you are showcasing is good or if it needs improvement or are you spending too much money? How are your benefits comparing? You know, How are your diversity numbers comparing? Um, all of those data are so critical. And so the time that I've spent with finance, really understanding how they showcase their data has been so helpful to me. So I would say to any HR leader listening in today, Yeah, sit down for an hour with somebody from finance and just say, ask them like, hey, I've got to present this, like, what would you do? And they'll be happy to give you a hand uh, and help you showcase, you know, the data in in even more smart ways. But you've given people the, the access to the KPIs, which is amazing.
0: And that concludes part one of our conversation with Sony. Stay tuned for part two next week and make sure that you subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified when we release the next episode. Thanks for listening and we hope to have you back in our next episode.